That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, well, New York doesn't have the only winter weather in the world. Uh, as I record this, there is a sheet of ice over everything. I can see icicles hanging off of my roof and... Uh, the roads are full of people, Texans, terrified Texans driving at about seven miles an hour. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't think anything would terrify a Texan, but um, ICE it is. So Besides it is Democrats, great to be here. Sorry. Yeah, That's a joke. It's just a joke. <laughs> and socialism. That's right. So anyway, um, uh, welcome to another episode of The Same Old Song. This is our uh, special Ash Wednesday edition, and uh, we're going to be talking about the readings for Ash Wednesday. Um, we have uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, 12 through 17, and then we'll touch base just briefly on Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. Then we'll make our way to the gospel reading, 2 Corinthians 5, 20b through 610, and then Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 6 and 16 to 21. Uh, but before we do that, um, we are uh, entering into a new liturgical season, the season of Lent. And um, what are you doing uh, for uh, what are you doing for Lent this year? Well, I'm uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'm get- I feel like we've been in Lent for uh, 364 uh, days, and uh, I'm having a hard time wrapping with so much loss and uh, grief and all of that. I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around the concept of. Um, more loss and grief. So I think I'm only going to eat chocolate for 40 days, <laughs> and uh, I am going to celebrate the entire time. You know, so, mostly during Lent, I say... That'll be my Lenten discipline. There you go. Well, it sounds good to me. I give that full and hearty endorsement uh, from the American Zimmerman Lenten Approval Society. I think uh, every year I always sort of feel like there's enough suffering in life. Like, the best Lenten discipline is just sort of pay attention to where God is already... Uh, you know, kind of pressing a little bit on you, uh, and invite invite yourself to kind of reflect on that a little bit. So that's kind of my thought on it. But um, I'm also uh, going to be giving up vitamin C, and I hope that I have scurvy by Easter because. <laughs> I mean, consider how much Jesus suffered for me. That's the least I can do for him. That's the least we can do for him. Um, oh. You know, it's uh, interesting. I think Lent, you know, oftentimes we think about this uh, finger-waving God who simply just kind of endures us. And uh, I think the collect for Ash Wednesday reminds us that nothing could be further from the truth. You know, it says clearly that he hates nothing that he's made, and he forgives the sins of all who are penitent. Um, and this is what this day is all about. It's not about uh, marks on your head. And, and here in New York City, that actually has been taken away from us. Uh, we can't do any imposition of ashes. Um, uh, no, not even Roman Catholic sprinkling. None of or, it. Or uh, light dusting. None of it. So, uh, you know, I'm 
basically the theme of my sermon is, is God's even taken that away from you. But, um, you know, this is all about, remember, ladies and gentlemen, that it's not about the ash on your head, but it's about being made new and having a contrite heart and worthily lamenting the sins and acknowledging our wretchedness. And so, um, uh, that's what a Holy Lent is all about, remembering that God is the one who does not hate us, but forgives our sins. Amen. And I should say one more thing before we dive into the text. We want to give a plug, a promo, and a shout out to the Living Church podcast. Living Church is an organization that has a magazine. They produce, obviously, this podcast. They do lots of things for the Episcopal Church, and they've been around forever. They're an independent magazine of the Episcopal Church that has gotten into all kinds of other publishing things. But their podcast has, uh, it's basically, if you're into theologians, pastors, thinkers who are looking at issues of faith and life and politics and prayer and all those things together. Uh, It has got really an all-star list of uh, guest contributors, and uh, they have been so kind enough as to kind of give us a shout-out, and we said, well, we like what you're doing too. So uh, if you're looking for another podcast to make yourself a smarter, more well-rounded person and just to learn something, uh, we highly recommend the Living Church podcast. Yeah, I I gave it a listen the other day and was uh, blown away at how uh, deep it really is. And I think Amber Noel and uh, Christopher Wells and all of those guys are doing a great, great job. Uh, there you can listen to such exciting episodes as Is Football Sin? And so with the presiding Bishop Michael Curry yes. and uh, Stanley Hauerwas, uh, you can also, they had a, an amazing uh, uh, episode where they talked about socialism and uh, democracy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think everybody who's afraid of socialism needs to go and listen to that podcast and, uh, and uh, just take a listen at the roots of socialism, it you know it didn't emerge out of, out of hell itself, um, but rather it's got some deeply Christian roots as well, and some things to think about and things to change the way you think. So give uh, the Living Church podcast a listen. Yeah, and I had a great thing too on that episode about what is democracy, and I hadn't really, I, I realized mm. I'd never really thought of what that, how I would answer that question, and the the, yeah. the folks I had on there were really top notch. So, anyways. Living Church Podcast, check it out. Now into Ash Wednesday, where we try to tell people how terrible they are, and for once, they're willing to listen. So we begin with uh, yeah. the... Yeah. Ash Wednesday's our day, for the record. You know, we're, this this is a day uniquely to Christians, because we are the only ones who talk about death. And so, um, and that's what the ash symbolizes on your forehead, that you are going to die. But we don't just put a star or a dot on your head. Uh, we uh, mark it with the cross, which is the sign um, that you will be raised from the dead, and so, and that you've been claimed by Christ. So we come to Joel, and uh, this really the reading here connects us with um, with our Jewish roots of fasting. Yeah, and this is one of the minor prophets, and he's basically it's a call to worship, but it's very different from a call to worship that many of us may be familiar from a more evangelical or kind of Baptist Anabaptist context, non-denominational, where you kind of begin with a service with a call to worship. Uh, hey, church, let's get happy and start singing songs. That's the opposite of this. This is get everybody together together to lament. And it is striking for a number of reasons, but one of the things that is striking about it is that it is for everybody. 
there's not anybody that doesn't need to come to this gathering to lament and to wail mm. and to acknowledge our sin. So it says, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. The bridegroom should leave his room, the bride her canopy. So all those young family, those senior citizens, even the little kids. And this is just a statement about the universality of the human problem. The human condition affects every single person. We are all really good at lying. We're all really good at deceiving ourselves. We're all really good at self-sabotaging. We're all really good at looking down at others and letting ourselves off the hook. We're good at all those things. And so this call to repentance, this call to acknowledgement of sin is is extended to everybody. There's no one who's uh, exempted from this. Mm, I love it. He really gets at the heart of what fasting is about here. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Uh, you know, um, uh, rend your hearts and not your clothings. That, that this is what God is actually interested in, not the outside, uh, but the inside. And uh, the inside then begins to define the outside. A lot of the times we think that, you know, if I put on a pious face, then I must be pious on the inside. But in the middle, I'm like re- reeling with hunger and anger and frustration. And uh, But the truth is, is that what God is looking for here is from the inside out. And uh, we return to the Lord because he has returned to us first. Mm. And then we get a perfect description of who God is. He's not up there, as I said earlier, waving his finger and kind of enduring us. But rather, he is the God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents Mm. from punishing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I love this. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and uh, leave a blessing behind him. Well, we do know because of the mark that's been placed on your head, and that is in Jesus, uh, we know, because the wrath of God has been not only appeased, but completely satisfied in the work of his son. And I think the final thing I would say about this passage, just to kind of piggyback on what you said, Jake, is the reason we can be so honest, the reason we can do a, quote, fearless and searching moral inventory, the reason we can come clean and admit what we did is because we are assured of the grace of God. Uh, he is, as yeah. this passage says, he is gracious and merciful. And it's it's sort of like if you have a parent, if you had a parent who was not <laughs> gracious and merciful, who was not slow to anger, uh, but was actually very quick to anger, you probably learned very quickly to hide your sins so that you would not experience negative consequences. What this tells us is that because God is gracious and merciful, we are assured at the beginning of love and acceptance and pardon. That's why we can come clean. There's no fear of retribution. There's no, like, wait till your dad gets home kind of thing here. It's, um, it's uh, because he's gracious, we can, we can tell the truth. And if you've ever had a human relationship where you know you'll be accepted and you can actually be who you are, you know how powerful and healing that is and that's actually what we have with god and that you know we talked about um, worthily lamenting our sins that's what we do in ash wednesday and through the season of lent that that doesn't mean like grovel about how terrible you are forever forever mm. so that god will maybe if you grovel enough maybe he'll grudgingly forgive you worthily lamenting your sins just means honestly acknowledging what you have done and then also keeping in mind and holding it, you know, at the same time, the grace and love of God um, and coming clean. Mm. Yeah, and I, 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 that's one of the, and this is the passage I'll probably preach on on Ash Wednesday is Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. I mean, it really gets at the heart of it, you know, and, uh, you know, Israel has uh, been doing all of these fasts 
And, you know, they're like, well, why don't you notice? And he's like, because it's the outside in, not the inside out dummies. And, uh, and he says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, etc., etc., bring the homeless poor into your house? And what you begin to see is, is this is a very powerful way the prophets work, is that every time it, 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 it gets a little smaller, it gets a little more condensed, you remember, uh, to, walk, to love justice, to walk humbly with your God. And it's all like condensed into the just shall live by faith. And this is our reality as new people in Jesus. This is who we are because the yoke of slavery has been removed from us. The bonds of repression have been taken away. And so he is the God who is the one who repairs the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. I love how uh, the Reverend William Barber made the point that the repairs of the breach, that is the distinction between what God has uh, destined Israel and where they're actually at. And uh, the, the, the breach and the hope of Ash Wednesday is, is that the breach has been filled by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and this passage, too, I think is really insightful in how it, it notices what human beings do when they do pious and religious things. They make yeah. it about themselves. And, you know, it becomes an ego trip in a sense. Look at how I'm suffering. Look at what I'm doing. It, is everybody noticing how holy I am? Uh, do people see on my Instagram that I'm having a quiet time or whatever? Uh, it, it always blows my mind when sincere Christians put on Facebook what they're giving up for Lent. I'm like, wait a second. You, nobody should know except the Lord. Do you remember a couple of years ago, it was like they were like Instagramming their face with uh, the cross on their oh, head. Oh, right. And uh, and in my like, and they were doing that on Facebook. When I was still on Facebook in my more snarky times, I, I would respond, that means nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in Jesus' name. And the, uh, Jesus name. the, the thing um, here, though, the way Isaiah calls it out is by pointing out that actual fasting, actual spiritual work uh, is caring for other people and not just other people in general, but the ones at the very bottom, which is a way of living out the way Jesus Christ treats us, basically taking the last and treating them like they're the first. And, and this, is, this is how God works. This is another, another uh, kind of picture of the gospel. And then you have, uh, we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 20b, 6 through 10. And um, I mean, this, is, this really gets at the heart of what uh, Lent and what um, Ash Wednesday is all about. And that is, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How? Well, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, atonement theology is just right all over that passage. And, you know, um, and, uh, and, but this is what it's all about. Yeah, and this is uh, the classic imputation verse, a sort of uh, sin mm-hmm. uh, being, not only just sin being put on to Christ, but Christ, it's much deeper. It says Christ becomes sin. Um, and again, we become the righteousness of God. It's, it's a mind-blowing, head-exploding sort of statement that we become the righteousness of God. Think about what the righteousness of God is and to say that human beings become that. And this is Paul writing to people in the first century, writing to people who had spent years of their lives worshiping actual idols and doing all kinds of weird, crazy, nasty things, to quote Arlo Guthrie about everybody on the Group W bench. So he's saying that even though that was your past, 
you are someone who God wants to make into God's righteousness, which is just unbelievable. And, you know, Paul then gets into this thing where he just, he, he's always being attacked about whether his ministry is valid or not because he endures so much suffering. Because why doesn't your house look like a mansion? Why aren't you driving a Bentley? You know, if you were really blessed by God, you would have all these things. And Paul says, yeah, I don't have any of those things. I have beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. But it's because of those things, actually, I know what God is doing in my life. And uh, well, and it's it's just an unbelievable statement. So again, I think as we move it, Lent is one of those times of year where we talk about suffering, and it's a part of human life, and it gives us language, theological and scriptural language, to say this is normal. If this is happening to St. Paul, if this is happening to Jesus Christ, it's going to be happening to you, and it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you because he hasn't abandoned them. So that's why it says... On behalf of Christ, we implore you, we beseech you, we entreat you, be reconciled to God. There's nothing in your life, um, suffering that you've brought on yourself, suffering that's been thrust upon you, whatever it is, there's nothing that prevents you from coming back to God. Again, going back to Joel, yeah. because we know he is gracious and merciful. Yeah, and uh, you know, those super, op- those super apostles, uh, they uh, would have loved Lent, you know, because, uh, you know, Lent oftentimes is where preachers and ministers put obstacles in people's way. You know, aka, what are you giving up? You know, uh, and uh, people like when they hear that, they oftentimes take it like as if it's like a salvation issue. And uh, the point of Lent is to remind us that on this journey, every obstacle has been removed from our salvation. And then, indeed, you're right, Aaron, you, uh, you, uh, I really appreciated that, that the, actually the, the description of a Christian life is one oftentimes that takes the shape of a cross. Mm. Uh, what Paul in the second paragraph is pointing out is what your best life looks like now. You know, Jesus has risen from the dead and has been glorified, but for us, uh, the glorious life oftentimes looks like great endurance, affliction, hardships, and calamities. Uh, But it is in this that enables us uh, to actually see life as it really is, you know, and uh, and uh, to uh, and to although feeling punished, know that we are alive, although dying, know that yet we live, you know, and uh, uh, rejoicing with those who uh, uh, um, are uh, sad. And so that becomes the enabling word because we know what life actually is and what life looks like. We haven't used the cross as a means to an end. We're using, uh, we're not using the cross at all. It is the end in and of itself. Amen. And then we finish with Matthew 6, where we listen to Jesus tell us not to do something, and then we turn right around and do it. He says, don't disfigure your faces, don't put anything, and then we do the thing. But I think, you know, I'm I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, Uh, but by the way, I always make sure... There actually was a church that screamed at us about that. Yeah, 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 in Yuma, Arizona. Coming out of St. Paul's Episcopal Church, I'll never forget, I was like in junior high, and we just finished the Ash Wednesday service, and uh, we all had the ashes on our head, and getting ready to go home because uh and uh this like church it was this pentecostal church called the door all of these people were outside and they like had their signs and they were yelling at us and they had this very verse um uh on one of the the billboards beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them and um and don't disfigure your face and i remember thinking to myself ah what's this all about and so but how does this passage do you think connect to ash wednesday well so it it reveals i think uh, again the what joel said about the universality of the human problem because you could so jesus here rightly points out 
the tendency among human beings to be hypocritical and to try to make our good deeds actually make ourselves look good in the eyes of other people. This, you know, uh, the, the desire to kind of give ourselves a pat on the back for being being decent or whatever. So he talks about giving alms, he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. He doesn't say not to do these things. He just says when you give alms, when you pray, and when you fast, don't do it so that other people will give you kudos. Don't do it so that people will uh, follow you on Twitter or like you on Instagram. Just uh, do them in secret. And uh, we learn a couple of things about this. One, human beings, we love to get credit for stuff. Um, uh, whenever you see a public figure say, oh, I was very fairly uncreated, I, unfairly treated, I didn't get credit for whatever, whatever. That's devilish thinking that's human thinking that is not godly thinking uh every human who is in christ should not care whether they get affirmation or not um and so but what this i think this also always runs me it kind of points to a deeper thing because you can the human condition is the human condition so if you give alms and you want to get credit for it that's the human condition um if you give alms and you don't get credit for it, and you do keep it secret, and then you become your own cheerleading section, and you, even though nobody else knows, you sort of feel pride and spiritual arrogance about that. You are a hypocrite in that way as well. So I, I you know, I remember uh, at a time in my life that I felt very strongly, well, because of this passage, I shouldn't put ashes on my head. I was a member of the door in Yuma, Arizona. Just kidding. But... Uh, I, I felt like, well, Jesus has not to do it, so I won't do it. And then I felt very proud about not doing it. And so um, mm. whether you fall on the side of ashes or no ashes, the human condition is the same. And so I think there's something here. I mean, Jesus' teaching here works on two levels. One, I think it's a right and good thing for Christians to remember we shouldn't be trying to get credit for the good stuff we do. We should also have or remember that even if we kind of follow these teachings to the letter— we are still at risk of sin because of how we then puff ourselves up and feel good about yeah. ourselves. And so I think, again, this is, uh, this is why Christ then calls us all to be honest about what's going on in our hearts. And because the, I think the big thing that I always learn from this passage, every, every year I read it, the thing that strikes me the most is it says who God is. God is someone who sees in secret. God knows you. God knows your heart. Mm. And so what that drives me to do is to know that I'm loved and that, again, that I'm free to ask for forgiveness, whether my sin is putting ashes on my head and feeling really spiritual about it or not putting ashes on my head and feeling really spiritual about it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and as you said, it gets right at the heart. And the key word that talks about that, the inside out, is the hypo hypocrites. Um, you know, hypocrites is a play on the word on the actors. These were the guys that wore masks. And so the the outside is different from the inside. And, uh, and uh, you know, and so we're projecting something on the outside that was different from the in inside. And so, and this is specifically why, because your repentance needs to be from the inside out. It needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. And when you understand that, uh, then you begin to realize that Ash Wednesday is every day of your life. You know, um, uh, we, uh, we uh, as St. Paul says, are, are always dying, you know, yet we live. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so Ash Wednesday, if it's done right, when that mark on your head, you know, you go home and wash it off and you'll remember your baptism and you remember that your entire life, as Luther said, is one of repentance and, uh, and one of seeking uh, mercy and seeking grace. Uh, not boasting in your own righteousness, not boasting in your own treasures where thieves can break in and steal, uh, but rather in the treasures that have already been stored up for you because of Jesus' work, which is all of his grace, all of his love, all of his mercy, because he loves, uh, he he hates nothing that he's made. Yeah, and that's again one of the things we say in, in the Ash Wednesday Collect, again, affirming the fact that God loves you, and because of that, you're able to confess your sins and be honest about your own failings. The one last thing I would say about this passage, this is another little preaching nugget if anybody wants to to take it. Um, This idea of those who do these things in public, Jesus says three times, truly I tell you they have received their reward. Anybody who seeks to get affirmation, value, and worth from external sources that are not God, that will be fleeting, shallow, temporary, and ultimately unsatisfactory. So mm-hmm. if you are trying to get TikTok to approve your worth, if you're trying to get tenure to approve your worth, if you're trying to be, maybe we have like two listeners who are in high school and you're trying to be in the popular crowd, whatever it is, whatever you're seeking in terms of public approval for what you're doing, that will be very shallow and very temporary. That is a drug with a very short high and a very fast acting low, and you will just try to go out and get more of it and more of it. And what this says about Jesus, or what Jesus says about his father, he says the reason you can give in secret is because your father who sees in secret will reward you, meaning God's love, again, this comes back to the assurance and approval that you already have in God. He sees in secret. He knows your heart. Um, And you don't have to seek this temporary, fleeting, ultimately meaningless approval. You can actually rest in yourself or rest in God's love. And um, that way you can do things and not be anxious at all. The the picture that I have of this, and I'm sure uh, this person I'm going to talk about had lots of issues, but... um, Andy Warhol, for years and years and years, uh, fed homeless people at a soup kitchen in New York City. And nobody knew about it until after he died. And all these homeless people came to his funeral. You know, there's Karl Lagerfeld and Anna Wintour and all these, like, homeless dudes. So um, whatever you may think about Andy Warhol, and uh, I always thought that was a really beautiful example of somebody who was doing something in secret. Um, uh, And that's kind of a picture um, that maybe deep down Andy Warhol, who I'm sure knew his own failings gr- growing up Catholic in Pittsburgh, um, on, on some level I, I trust and hope that he knew that he was loved by God. And if you know that, if you know that you're loved by God, which is really the message of Ash Wednesday, and that life is short, you can live as a free man or woman. Amen. Well... That is a great place to wrap up our uh, episode, and so we want to wish everybody a very happy Lent and a blessed Ash Wednesday. Until next time, we will uh, see you soon. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, 
leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll. 